Welcome to the uh, Aftermaths webinar with Dr. Kevin McCarran. And I'm not going to waste any time. I just give it right to the doc and, and then we'll go from there. Howdy, doc. How are you? Uh, I'm good, Chris. And uh, thanks for the thanks for the short, uh, abrupt intro as I'm still clicking buttons uh, in, in the background for streaming. But I want to just send out a couple more uh, alerts. <laughs> Let me just uh, do that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, well, if I should just hand back to you for two seconds, uh, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, we can handle it on our end. Yeah, we're just glad you're all here today. Um, and w w what the end result of today is, is we want you to have a little, a little more um, knowledge about what's really happening um, right, from, right from the people who can see it happening. Um, one thing we, we can't do as normal citizens is we can't uh, have access to all these uh, fine laboratory, pieces of fine laboratory equipment where we can actually get down into the into the nooks and crannies <laughs> and see what we're dealing with. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'll slowly hit some alerts as I'm, as I'm going on, but um, what, what I will say is that um, our ability to do that type of science that you're talking about, um, which has been critical for addressing the, um, the, the most lurid and obvious to me, psychological operations, and uh, we've got Joanna coming in. Uh, that's great. Um, was was to be able to sort of uh, uh, approach. Uh, but what, what what was the biggest one? Graphene oxide was the the, the huge um, counter narrative being injected into the public discourse, and anyone who was trying to take an interest and follow what was going on at, at the time or, or still now even but um, I, I'm hoping that we've actually finally put a bullet in that particular zombie's skull and it's it's uh, shuffled off um, and we can we can now focus on on bigger bigger problems but we were able to do that through people stepping forward and doing the science publicly and and in in a transparent manner and and for that i want to just say again thank you to listeners and people who, uh, who who have stepped forward with uh with support and we've got more coming because we will be able to uh, look at the I wouldn't call it pharmacology. I would call it genotoxicity of of the um, quote unquote vaccines. I, I, I've got to be careful about what I say. I'm still going out on YouTube, but um, that's something that maybe we will discuss a bit later in the uh, in the roundtable today. Um, but um, and if people want to ask questions about the graphene, uh, I'm more than happy to go over that work. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. And um, if someone else wants to uh, say hi to the camera, that would be wonderful. Well, uh, you can introduce uh, who we do have here right now. We have Spartacus is here. So I'll say their names and they can in, in, in introduce themselves because they each have a, uh, a rich backstory that um, I'm not going to do justice. So Spartacus, uh, well, I'm hoping Charles will still uh, turn up, Charles Rixey. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Spartacus, please. Hey, how's it going? 
Um, yeah, I've been uh, researching COVID-19 since um, uh, late, late January, early February 2020. And um, initially, I started digging into uh, COVID-19 pathology because I, I felt that um, a lot of these, these cases that we were seeing were not being treated correctly. Um, there, was a, a, there was an opportunity um, for, like, like Peter McCullough said, there was an opportunity for early outpatient treatment for a lot of the, these patients, um, but uh, they squandered it. The, the official protocols, essentially, for treating COVID-19 patients uh, throughout 2020 um, was if someone came into the ER complaining of COVID-19 symptoms, they just told them to go home and get, get bed rest, and then they'd come back with like some of them would come back with severe COVID-19 and um, the, uh, the sepsis like symptoms that that causes. And, and um, then they, they do the, the early, you know, prone invent um, and uh, pump them up full of steroids and stuff. And I don't believe that that was the correct thing to do in, in this instance, because um, well, what I, I discovered uh, digging into the literature um, of, of behind SARS-CoV-2 was that um, you know th this this disease ca causes injury to blood vessels via oxidative stress. I mean, very very serious injury to the small capillaries and the alveoli. Um, you know what, what you're looking at here essentially is is oxidative cascade. Um, the, the virus has, um, what, what are called viroporins. They're, they're proteins that, um, assist the virus in, in altering the, uh, the, the cellular, um, environment essentially to kind of enhance viral replication and so on. So, um, SARS-CoV-2 has these two proteins, the envelope and the three A proteins that behave as calcium ion channels and they, they draw calcium into cells and you can actually see this um, severely ill COVID-19 patients have hypocalcemia. They have low blood calcium levels. And what happens with this is that you end up with the, these cells having their, their um, intracellular calcium pathway activity increase, which increases cellular respiration um, increases um, uh, reactive oxygen species production and so on. And that, that requires some explanation as well. Um, when people talk about oxidative stress and um, uh, antioxidants and the like, what they're actually talking about is uh, free radical damage. Um, a reactive oxygen species is a molecule that's, that is missing a valence electron and it wants to replace that valence electron by stripping it out of molecules in the environment. And that process is called oxidation. It's the same exact chemical reaction behind combustion and, and rust. Um, but it can also happen to, uh, to, to fats inside the body. It can happen to, to lipids. It can happen to, to cell membranes, um, cardiolipin, uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids, you know, the, uh, lipids even in someone's diet. It's on cholesterols. Uh, they, these can all be oxidized. So... Um, and the body does not like oxidized fats. Um, oxidized fats, uh, oxidized lipids, actually, the body produces autoantibodies against them. They're, they're called um, oxidation-specific epitopes. Um, 
this is something that you see in autoimmune diseases like lupus because of the um, the, the the granulocytes, the you know, like like, um, uh, like neutrophils and so on are are releasing neutrophil extracellular traps that have these damaging enzymes that produce radicals, and then those radicals oxidize lipids, and then the oxidized lipids um, have autoantibodies formed against them. So this is something that you you also potentially see in in COVID nineteen. Really, the end stage of severe COVID nineteen is essentially uh, sepsis. Uh, iron overload, um, uh, ferroptosis, parthenotose, and so on. So what you're actually seeing here is iron-induced lipid peroxidation and cell death from that. When they put someone on a ventilator, what that does is that actually introduces more oxygen to this um, reactive oxygen species storm. Uh, you end up with cells that that were undergoing like transient ischemia that 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 had like like uh, they were hypoxic, and um, it went into uh, anaerobic uh, respiration. Those cells have a buildup of hypoxanthine, um, and then when they revert to to uh, aerobic respiration, uh, xanthine oxidase produces it breaks down that hypoxanthine and produces superoxide radicals so you end up with more free radical damage um, those radicals also attack glucocorticoid receptors and uh, cause steroid insensitivity so if you, you have something that's producing radicals it's making those cells insensitive to steroids now you have inflammatory rebound and, and so on so um, and I, I believe 100 percent that this was treatable with antioxidants to some extent. I mean, to some extent, probably it, it provided that, that they had good bioavailability. Maybe they could deliver something with a nebulizer to someone, but um, N-acetylcysteine, glycine, uh, raising glutathione levels, selenium, and so on, increasing uh, endogenous antioxidant activity is the way to counteract this. Um, this, well, this kind of damage. Sorry to but these, these were all treatments that were denied to the public to the point where quite mysteriously in the u.s they took uh knack off the cells and asked yes the, the uh i have a paper that that states unequivocally that uh there is a there is therapeutic potential of uh n-acetylcysteine and glycine in treating covid19 um, because they, what they found consistently was that these people with severe COVID-19 had depleted uh, endogenous antioxidant pools. They had low glutathione levels, uh, low vitamin D, um, low blood calcium. Where did the calcium go? So it's, and they had elevated nitrotyrosine, uh, which is evidence. It's an oxidative stress marker and evidence uh, that uh, peroxynitrite is present. Um, and then they also had uh, low nitric oxide levels. Uh, nitric oxide is constant, and, and uh, for the sake of the audience, uh, nitric oxide is constantly produced by endothelial nitric oxide synthase. Um, it, it dilates and relaxes blood vessels and lowers your blood pressure. Uh, you can actually raise your nitric oxide levels in, in your blood vessels by nose breathing, believe it or not. Another way to raise nitric oxide levels is to consume dietary nitrate, like through the anterior salivary 
nitrate pathway. That's leafy greens, beets, and so on. That raises your your, your nitric oxide levels. So um, I, just, I don't want to stop you mid-flow. Uh, um, we should. Uh, Joanna was having tech problems. I don't know if those are resolved, but we should just uh, bring uh, Joanna in as well. She's she's uh, other. She's, is it working? Hey. I hope it's working. Yes, we hear you perfectly, Joanna. So um, before we before we get more into the uh, the nuts and bolts there, because uh, Sparkus was just uh, hit, hit hits the nitrous button for what excuse the pun, <laughs> and <laughs> we're off. So uh, Joanna, why don't you introduce yourself, and um, we'll uh, we'll go uh, we'll build on on. Sparkus was saying, I keep careful trying not to say your name, Sparkus, sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, um, thank you. Um, I'm, my name is uh, Dr. Johanna Deinert. I'm a physician, practicing frontline physician from Germany, meaning um, general practitioner, and I have a thesis in virology, so I'm involved in the whole um, COVID um since I was expecting it or observing it already in 2019, but started to research in January when we um, were informed about the SARS-related um, origin. Um, so um, as, as I said, I'm a physician and I was listening to what Spartak has just said because exactly that is what I uh, also found out and what I focused on, the pathomechanism, me because when you have an alleged or, or supposedly new uh, disease, then as a physician you need to understand it. So um, I can confirm what... Uh, Spartacus said, um, I think we, we briefly touched maybe um, during the first times, but um, actually the, the vascular, uh, the, the inflammation of the vessels um, is one of the things that really alarmed me in the early days because of the, um, let's say, malpractice of early ventilation as Spartacus said, and um, we had, um, in our city, we had autopsy done in the early um, COVID cohorts. It was, I think it was worldwide the first autopsy cases. So we had the information that we had this clotting disease um, rather than a respiratory inflammation only, in let's say um, April, May 2020. So I think to break it down, um, the the attack on early treatment, like you said, with NAC and also hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and the herbals, like I was focusing on flavonoids, which are um, antioxidants, but they also have capacity in directly inhibiting uh, non-structural viral enzymes. So um, that was what I found early and I can only support and, and um, from the other side of the big pond say it's exactly um, what I've seen um, 
and actually I treat my patients if, if they have problems um, still with NAC and antioxidants mainly. Um, I have had none of the patients that I treated um, that went to hospital. I got them sometimes uh, in, in a later phase when the oxygen started to drop and sometimes um, it's, it's just the treatment um, um, with the herbals um, and anticoagulants helps them to come out of the decline in within 25 hours, 24 hours or something. But this watch and wait only take um, pain medication. It's, it's, I, I, I have the impression that was the moment that really went against my oath. So um, that's the point where I have to raise my voice and where I got in contact with Kevin. And that's where I would open up to they back told to people, Spartacus. They, they told people, to, uh, I'm sorry but, uh, to interrupt, but they told people no. to take Tylenol. Yes. Uh, acetaminophen depletes glutathione. It actually mm -hmm. lowers people's antioxidant levels. It's the exact opposite of what people should be doing. But maybe that's why uh, I got such an ass kicking from it because I was. They they mix uh, acetaminophen into any any and all other painkillers, right? I don't know why they do that. But, Pretty much, yeah. Um, you know, if you if you're on the next level up with respect to requiring pain control, um, which which I am, and you know. Why? Why can't you just get Tramacet without acetaminophen in? Right? <laughs> why, why do Why do you have to have the liver damaging, glutathione depleting cocktail given with it? And um, e e e even as a sort of long term strategy, you you remove the ability to ha to derive any therapeutic benefit from when you could use acetaminophen at, at a more acute phase, right? And I don't know, maybe Joanna has a, what's, what's the thinking in medicine? Doc, uh, Kev, uh, Doc Kett said he's going to be here in about five minutes. Oh, wonderful. Um, we can, uh, we can get to the legal lawfare as well. Um, uh, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, I was really hoping uh, Charles would be here to um, lead us into the talk about censorship, which is where we should be taking this. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, Next generation, well, next generation warfare is past eight. Um, we'd, we'd sort of settled on neuro warfare as uh, as a catch-all for what what's being rolled out on people right now. So that's that's good that he's coming because he can at least speak to um, what what can be done at a at a U.S. level in in making sure that you have informed consent and um both him and Spartacus are far more afraid than I am with uh, some of the ne'er-do-wells on the American political circuit I don't know, political science I don't know where that nexus meets um but the yes Spartacus you were actually uh kind of I, I interrupted you so <laughs> sorry bro it's, just, it's a just... bugbear of mine 
just short for the painkillers it's it um <laughs> it's one of the most used medication and one of the worst uh, thing to um treat as a md because you don't have any painkillers without trade-offs so um i um i had more um i was concerned about um the the anti-rheumatic um painkillers like ibuprofen because there were rumors about that uh, many of the hospitalized had taken that in Europe. Um, and there are metabolic pathways shared with um, the AC2 um, pathways, the, um, the regulation of the blood pressure. And so it, it's, it's, it's always when you use pa painkillers, you have to weigh off the, the risks and benefits. And so in, um, I, I have thought a lot about it because of the opioid crisis in, in the US and in Europe, we don't have such a big opioid crisis, uh, but uh, we, we use metamizol. So it's forbidden in the US. It's, it's, um, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I'm, 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 I'm metformin, you mean? No, a metamizol. Okay, what it's, type of drug uh, is that? It's um, also a COX inhibition, but um, it's, it's, it's forbidden in, in, um, in the US because you ha can have a, um, a depletion of um, blood cells if you take it uncontrolled, but um, it, it's um, an alternative COX inhibitor in a way. Um, so it's not making so many um, gastrointestinal bleeding problems like aspirin and, and um, so it's, it's, it's hard with painkillers. But to just tell someone to go home with Tylenol, in my perspective, in liver transplant, and guess what? In liver transplant, we gave Tylenol because metamizol and the ibuprofen were, uh, had two, two sensitive side effects on the kidneys. So um, there are trade-offs. So it's... Um, um, yeah, but why, 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 the, why the need to, you know, add it to... I, I get why um, tramadol is a... That they've pushed that as an opioid alternative, right? I, I get the reasoning behind they don't, they don't want to give people um, codeine and, and derivatives of codeine, etc. And um, I guess... I guess you do get them at the sort of later stages, but um, why 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 can't you just get the pure forms? Why aren't they used more often than um, than what we do see? I, I I'm I'm failing to see the sort of medical reason. What that 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 it lowers the amount of tramadol that you do need is that is that the reasoning here? It's considered safe and therefore it's a better it's better to have the cocktail. Why do that? Right. Usually you combine a peripheral and a central anti-pain um, um, effect. So um, I, I can just guess that they put it in uh, for that. These reasons, we don't have it. We have uh, single medications here. So. Okay. That's yeah, uh, oh, well, my bugbears, my uh, grumbling liver always uh, 
Always shouting at me. Stop it. Get it. Get it. Single form. Get the. Get the I think get it's, it's. Sorry. I think it's. Like, really get the old morphine. Get that, get that old to, sticky morphine. To talk about medication because um, that's that's where the censorship really kicked in for me. When when you were talking about censorship, I was um, in the early days. I was warning about what it, what is going to come because I was seeing um, signals since um, September, October um, that that it could. Uh, there could be something, um, and actually, um, when perhaps, I look perhaps, back, perhaps you better you better say why you were you were seeing these early signals because maybe <laughs> a lot of uh, we'll we'll sort of take that for granted, but um, you know most most people will have a, a, a hard time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, um, I, I made my thesis in virology, and um, so um, my focus studying medicine was always in that direction. And we learned that we were to expect that big pandemic around 2020. That was basically um, what what I'm. I was trained on. So um, okay, I've got to just, just seeing... uh, slam the brakes right there, and just uh, I've got to ask. Why? Why that date, and what was the reasoning for that? Um, that <laughs> they hypothesis. Told it to us. Yeah, but uh, why? What, what would they cite as as reason for that? I mean, that's a big, big bold prognostication to be making in uh, in a science field. What? What was yeah. the argument? Was every hundred years we have a big pandemic, so we can expect the next one in 2018 20 something like that that's but it i actually that's it and actually i, I just saw um um a, a, an ad a, a promo video from the 50s where they actually uh, also said it like that in 2020 and it, it it was always like that and um so i, I wasn't focused on the date but um i i, I was aware of, um, yeah, let's say I was in contact with Judy Mikovits since 2018, because I had a patient who, who fitted into her, her criteria of, of disease, um, like non-HIV AIDS patient. Um, and he had a, a infection history traveling to Asia. So it was very reasonable to um, um, consider her hypothesis as, as as the problem of my patient, and um, I had the opportunity to have her book, um, what she published in April 2020, um, the the second book of her. Um, I had it in 2019 in summer, and there were signals in the US of odd pneumonia cases in summer and then later on around september october i heard trace i heard signals about odd pneumonia cases in in china but i i can't say from where it's like sometimes just the radio uh, news um um 
thing that that made me um, have a look at that. But when I look back, um, I actually have a patient who told me about an odd incidence in November, no, October, late October, um, in a kindergarten right uh, um, that's at the military hospital where the children of the the military personnel um, um, are cared for. And um, late October, they had a cluster of pneumonia cases and um, this uh, inflammatory syndrome in that kindergarten. And the parents were just coming back from Asia, um, maybe due to the military um, um, games or something. But there were, there are, signals also in scientific um, um, investigations. So right now we have a publication um, um, about a, a granddad that died from COVID who probably got it in December 2019 and without travel um, history. So um, when well, you have, pa when well, you have patients, then... That that yeah. there's de definite fingerprints of patients earlier. I, I'll count myself as yeah. one of those beginning of December. Um, and the, 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 there was a recent paper that just came out of it's an Italian paper where they, they were, they were nailed on certain that they've got, um, PCR positive blood samples. I, I want to say it's PCR positive. Um, from the September, October, the beginning of, uh, of the autumn. Now, um, it's it's a, a it's it's a, it's a topic in a, in and of itself, and I um, I want to get I want to steer the conversation more towards the quote unquote neuro warfare and who who could be responsible for, like I say, if there if there's a framework that was knew about a hundred year event coming and was positioning themselves which all the tabletop exercises indicate um we have to um peel back who they are and so with that i want to just take a quick moment to introduce uh well, doc keck anthony how, how are you sir can you can you hear us can you unmute yourself is there any tech problems your end am i can you hear me we we can indeed um maybe we were doing introductions so uh why, why don't you uh introduce yourself and uh, uh that then we'll start heading into the the meat and potatoes of the the round table which is why why they were able to so effectively shut down voices of dissent at the beginning and um, who these people are, um, I'm. I, I say it is international. I don't want to uh, just think of, at, at the US. Um, but please tell us who you are and what you've been doing, because you've been doing some great work um, that people need to know about. 
Cheers. Yeah, um, I go by Doc Keck. Uh, I guess my real name is Anthony Pena. Um, been working over the past year uh, in finding, uh, actually suing uh, my state government uh, for informed consent. Um, I'm on my second lawsuit now. Uh, the first lawsuit um, ultimately resulted in the end of mandates uh, for the state. I'm going into oral arguments uh, for the second one in about two weeks. And I am hoping to have the spike protein uh, labeled a biologic toxin legally uh, to be the first time in the nation um, uh, so that we can have a, a very simple precedent with, uh, you know, readable legal language uh, that isn't necessarily medical, but can be legally applied um, around the nation, you know, cause, uh, and uh, what I've done is I've sued for a declaratory judgment, uh, in a declaratory judgment. The only thing I'm looking for is a recognition of right. I'm not suing for money. I'm not suing anyone to do anything. I'm just suing the court to recognize my right to informed consent. And, uh, I think I've got them. I'm almost certain I've got them licked because I have not received a response from my motion for summary judgment yet. And any, um, motion that is unanswered, essentially ends up, you know, being granted. So that's the nutshell. And then I've also written a 115 page, um, biological report on the biologic toxicity of the spike protein outlining everything. It is on uh, my website. I'm also the executive director for the American foundation for informed consent. Um, the website is uh, FWD that's Frank whiskey, Delta questions, here.com if you anyone in your audience wanted access uh to that uh, biological report awesome um let's uh so we were there's there's multiple ways i i, I don't want to be <laughs> dictating to uh, uh i'm i'm not a not not a dictator not uh, only to my kids but um I'm, I'm open to suggestions as to how we can um, so first of all, let's how we could cover the uh, the institutional, uh, and this is why I wish Charles uh, here. I hope he's okay. It's not like him to um, miss a, miss an appointment. But um, maybe Sparkus can uh, delve uh, jump in here as to the some of the names and institutions that were on the U.S. side responsible for. Yeah, public public perception management, right from right from the get go. I, I've been digging into um, some aspects of that, um, not necessarily the the PR firms that are involved, but um, more like the the NGOs and think tanks that are that are linked to um, well, what I've started to call the biodefense mafia because. Um, a lot of this stuff appears to come out of, I mean, it, it appears to center on the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, and uh, the United States Agency for International Development, um, and their partnerships with EcoHealth Alliance, Metabiota, and Labyrinth Global Health, and the like. But it go, it, actually, that's just the surface level stuff. It goes a lot deeper than that. It, go, it goes to... Um, um, oh, uh, CEPI... Um, uh, hold on. Uh, what, what's the, it's the center for the, um, hold on one second. Let me see if I can, I can pull it. CEPI is a Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. Um, let me see if I can pull up a, a link right here. 
Um, they're also linked to the Welcome Trust. I went ahead and put put a link to this, to CEPI in the in the cha- in the um, in the chat there. Um, maybe, maybe drop your um, Venn diagram, and I'll put that the, in my chat just so people can follow along. Um, the chart, yeah, yeah. Um, I went ahead and dropped the the graph in the yeah. in there, so we can kind of follow along. Um, let me see if I can. Um, bring that up. It's the uh, Center for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. Um, they are directly linked to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust. Um, Andrew Huff claimed that EcoHealth Alliance was also linked to the Wellcome Trust. Um, and the Wellcome Trust have this, this other organization called Wellcome Leap um, that's a spinoff of the Wellcome Trust. And um, they're involved in essentially research into um, uh, like internet of bodies, internet of bio nano things type stuff, essentially like human cattle tagging kind of a thing. So um, it's, I mean, when people talk about like transhumanism, for instance, um, well, what these people are discussing is not really like human augmentation or anything like that. They're discussing things like implantable ID um, oh, uh, brain computer interfaces, but you, you don't know what they're for kind of a thing. It's like, they don't really specify kind of it's, um, it's, uh, I mean, they, they, the, the line that they sell the public with like, like defense advanced research projects agency and their, their N3 program, for instance, is, um, you know, this is, uh, we just want to use this to treat wounded soldiers. We want them to be able to control like, like bionic limbs or, or regain function if they, they had, if they were paralyzed um, or, or even like control drones with their mind or something. That's, that's actually how they pitch it. Yeah. Just slip the, the offensive part right at the, right at the end there. So that's how they got me. Um, but there are, I've seen papers from bioethicists that, uh, go into detail about the the serious ethical risks and the the existential and um, well risks to people's autonomy um, in in terms of um, like having having an effective brain computer interface uh, as in effect like uh, emotion and so on. like a brain computer interface that can manip- manipulate that can like wire people's emotions to, to respond a certain way to certain stimuli, stuff like that. So um, basically, and the thing about this is that some of this stuff sounds like science fiction on the surface. Um, I, I started, um, this was actually like, um, uh, this was back in early, early uh, 2021 when I, I first started kind of like getting the hint as to what might be going on here and, and well, what, what they're heading towards. Um, and I, I, um, I dug into, uh, Charles Lieber and Robert Langer. Um, so a lot of people don't realize this, but, um, Charles Lieber is a, uh, a nanotech expert at, at Harvard, um, who was charged by the DOJ for, um, uh, for fraud, like wire fraud, essentially he, he had, Grants from from the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, uh, from the Air Force, uh, from MITRE, 
and um, from the Office of Naval Research and so on. So all like like DOD stuff. And you go on on Lieber's site and look at his bibliography and look at the, at the stuff he's published. And it's all like page after page of um, like using silicon nanowires in place of like patch clamp electrodes to monitor cellular activity. And then he has these other articles about using silicon nanowires as a brain, as a wireless brain computer interface um, to um, essentially put like nanoparticles, nanowires, quantum dots, and so on inside brain cells and interact with them with wireless energy, like um, RF, um, electromagnetic fields, uh, infrared, ultrasound, and so on and so forth. Um, and that led me kind of down a, a rabbit hole uh, looking into uh, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency and the N3 program, the Next Generation Non-Surgical Neurotechnology Program. Um, if you go on, on GovTribe, uh, let me see if I can, I can pull this up real quick. Um, you can actually see the paperwork uh, for all of this. Um, and this is essentially their, their proposal. Um, and basically what they're after is they're after a brain computer interface that does not require a craniotomy. So um, that requires some explanation. So uh, for instance, um, a lot of people like got kind of freaked out about, about, you know, like Elon Musk and Neuralink and all that. Um, Neuralink is really um, primitive and barbaric compared to what DARPA are after. Uh, for Neuralink, you, have, you actually have to cut away a section of the skull. You have to peel back the dura and implant microelectrodes into brain tissue. And that's, that's a destructive process. That damages brain tissue. So um, that's even 40, if it is- 40, uh, That's my area, right? That's literally what I did. That, that's yes. 40, 40 year old technology. Exactly. It's a ancient microelectrode array technology. Mm -hmm. what, what DARPA are after is something where you can um, have someone like inhale or um, ingest or inject a, a nanoparticle that travels through the bloodstream, crosses the blood brain barrier, enters brain tissue, and is then manipulated by something like a helmet um, where it produces um, electromagnetic fields and and or, or or rf or ultrasound or or infrared light and basically any form of wireless energy capable of penetrating the skull and then it energizes those nanoparticles and manipulates the uh the action potentials of the the individual neurons um they also want it to be be two-way they want it to be able to read back so it they, these nanoparticles would uh, could be energized and then uh produces a um a signal of some type that could be picked up by the helmet and then they could figure out what the neurons activity is, what its current state is. And um, the, their proposal states that they want to get it down to a very, very fine degree of resolution, single neuron resolution, uh, less than, than 50 uh, cubic micrometers. So really, really tiny. Um, and and you, you need very fast um, signal acquisition as well to to be understanding what a single neuron is is doing yes um, i'm skeptical as to the um the well current technology as i understand it um pulling pulling that particular feet off um, but it is real 
the the research programs are real. They they've been trying for this for uh, decades. They have they have um, six teams working on this right now. Uh, Battelle, Carnegie Mellon University, Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory, uh, Park, Rice University, uh, and Teledyne. Um, I wasn't even aware that Teledyne had a neuroscience division. That's their uh, defense contractor. So, um, and they they normally make things like armored vehicles and uh, armored vehicle turrets and stuff. So. Um, and, there's a, um, there's, a, there's a, 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 a level below this where you, you can get very fine control. You don't, you don't need to be in the brain and having all that computation because it's, it's an enormous amount of computation to be um, processing, decoding in real time. And, um, but using the feedback from eye movements, saccadic movements, um, across uh, a display, there's there's already a whole um, mature technology that can be used to um, how would you say give an give an advantage to sensory systems if you were able to extend their um, th their boundary. So a good example that's extant right now is are the, are the fighter jet helmets. Right, so the pilot looks around and can see, doesn't see the floor of the plane or his legs. Right, there's a there's a three sixty degree, you know, all round vision, depending on where he looks. Right, that that's easily trackable and gives a an, an advantage to the pilot or the I hate the term warfighter, but. Well, what they want what they want is they want, they want to have like heads up displays for soldiers where they don't need any display device it just beams information directly into the visual cortex mm. and then they they see like a, a picture and picture view in their eyeball mm. yeah I, I, I was I, I would argue with these people and say you, you don't want to because when you're putting at the visual cortex level you, you're at one level of the way that the body or the brain semantically understands that information right and I, I would i would just say it'd be better to have a low low power retinal projection that that incorporates it it's going to automatically incorporate all the levels that you need because that's that's the way evolution has sort of honed the the, the nervous system to work right so you could say, well, we could we could jump a synapse behind the eye, and and put a uh, input into the lateral geniculate nucleus, for example. Uh, it's um, it, it's it's at that point the, the the we don't know right the full level of processing. I mean, if you're just thinking about action potentials, we don't know if that's the the real substrate of of neural processing. That you know, I've always use the example it might be a reset of the computation being done right it might it might have been doing something sub sub cellular i guess if you like but before the action potential kicks in and the action potential is saying well yeah i'm ready to i'm ready to receive the next thing and then that propagates through through the system because otherwise we have this latency problem I'm sorry to geek out on the neuroscience but you know we've we've been able to track 
using those old methods of cracking open the skull and putting electrodes in and we find that there's a there's a window of uh, of information processing between node to node which is approximately 25 to 50 milliseconds that you see and then if you add up all the nodes the serially and even if you even if you sort of take into account convergent and divergent projections it's it's hundreds of milliseconds in terms of action potentials being able to drive even even the we know that the fastest reflexes we have are faster than the um the the, the the processing that we see centrally by by sort of putting these um uh multi-stage electrodes through these pathways and you can like about the fastest that we can see is like the superior colliculus and frontal eye field and their control of saccadic movements but that's that's one axon projection and and there's that window again of uh, approximately 50 milliseconds and um, may i sure sure um from from a clinical perspective um um it's I can report that I talked to someone who is involved in AI development, and um, um, he talked about me uh, about his AI and what it's doing. And um, they were doing research project on epilepsy and how to predict the state of epilepsy. So um, when you have a set of uh, data, like you explain the action potential, it's like uh, most of the people can relate to the EEG, um, the electric um, um, field of, of the whole brain that you can measure, in a, not with pinching through the, the um, <laughs> skull and, and putting the electrodes right in, but you can um, measure it at the skin level. And if if you cannot do it like remotely, um, I'm not sure how um, sensitive um, the technology would be that they have. But um, I think it's not limited to the old um, technology that we use in clinics and and you used in research. But um, from from what I learned from that, I think. Um, much of it is um, the, the deep learning and, and, and prediction in disease that, that is kind of also a dual use research in that way. Yeah, and so. Um, so um it's interesting because it was one of the three AI research researchers that I met and he uh, and they were independent of each other so I, I talked to all of them independently and two of them said the first thing that this deep learning um, AI does what is different from what what you would expect from a machine is to compose music <laughs> so it's um, um, and and that one who has um, done that um, EEG research said, and coming into the office in the morning, there are different um, like signals, like if it was dreaming, that was um, mm. where, the, where the two informations um, that were really um, bringing me into that perspective to think about this, um, 
new technology that is approaching and that we have to look at and fi find a way to um, come along because um, many people are afraid when talking about something like what we do right now, um, especially when, when it comes to uh, the situation that we have politically right now worldwide <laughs> and um, all the sci-fi um, doom and gloom um, stories about AI. Um, I want to close with the notion of the third AI researcher that I met because she she's brilliant um, neuroscientist researching time travel of protons um, and um, having the approach to teach AI unconditional love to, un to ultimately teach humanity proper parenting. And I think that idea is quite interesting because when we think of AI, it, it, for me, it's like when I have something that has a self and, and is foreign to me, then I, I'm, I'm thinking about um, the story of the little prince and the fox. So um, if you're not good puppy parent and it had would have the stage of a dog, for instance, from the consciousness level perspective, you would be need to be careful with that dog if it has the potential to harm someone, but you can be a good puppy parent and maybe that's the way <laughs> To focus well, on the, solutions. The, the sort of preempt the, um, the, the the conclusion there. There's still there's still the ethical breach of handing over anything to a black box device or system. That yeah, okay, we may have, we may have soldered the pieces together or cultured the the cell substrate upon which we're we're building this next next technology but there's there's a very um difficult well f philosophical block here because are, are we prepared to just hand over control even even if you said that the machine does something better um, are we are we uh, are we not here to learn? Are we not here to have um, ex experience? Uh, and you know this this gets into the uh, the the consent arguments, which is um, you know who's who's going to make the judgment upon uh, upon what is good parenting, right? Because what what might be seen as good parenting in one instance could be seen as uh, horrendous and, and barbaric in another and i could i could think you know in the most basic form with tribal type living right where they i don't know body scarring that they'll they'll have as tribal rituals um and well you can think of a few tribes that do that uh one particular and what we we to say to them that no they can't do that the, a machine has decided that 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 um, ethically that that's that's the wrong thing to do. Surely they should. It should be up to them to work out themselves that it's um, it's well less less than optimal 
behavior because because my concern here is is that you're sort of you're straying into a sort of sam harris type um mishmash of um hot psychology that um that yeah sounds great on its surface um but then you know yeah who does who doesn't want the the best for everyone that's that's a reasonable um assumption to to put to people but who are you to, who are you to decide and and change the adaptation that's taken millennia to to instantiate and emerge as as a complex human behavior i i'm you know before i would i would have said yeah it seems a logical thing to do but i'm very i'm very concerned even something like unconditional love what does that mean who 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 are we to decide what unconditional love is and how how a machine interprets that so, so long as you have the you have the issue of at that point well something that can conceive of love and are we then in a position to be able to pull the plug on it if we de- if we decide that it it, it is problematic the, the, yeah, this, I think in exactly exactly this is the discussion that we need to have because yes, it's the freedom of choice universe. That's my um, belief. You know, I, I'm I'm Christian. I'm I'm believing in a God. Even um, if I'm scientists in in my thinking, but I went into science to dig so deep into matter to find God, like, mm. like uh, Max Planck said. Scientists, so, who, scientists who don't find, who, who, who reject God are usually the graduate students. And <laughs> that, that's, that's been my experience. And you go, you go through the, the, the whole process, the learning process, and then you realize how little we do understand these systems. And then you're like, okay, well, now, now I'm, now I'm getting close to, um, there but for the grace of god go go us all in in this situation i don't i don't like we're sort of straying into legal terms here um anthony i don't know if you want to um chip into that that discussion then we'll then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of these defense contractors bring spark us back in you there anthony no no sound from no, no, no comment. I think that uh, you guys have pretty much um, hit all the bases at this point. Okay, that, that I'm aware of. So when I um, I started digging into all of this towards the end of um, 2021, I was and I, I saw um, the um, the documents that diffuse uh, the diffuse documents that uh, drastic research had gathered. And, uh, you know, Charles Rixey and all that. And I um, was so pissed off at what I was seeing. Um, I, I wrote the, the Spartacus letter. Um, this was in September of last year. Um, it, was, um, it was toward the end of the month. I, I um, was actually on my break at work. I, I just got my laptop and spent for about five days, spent like, I don't know, I was... Um, you know, it's, it's a long strike at work. What's, what's going yeah. on with your job? <laughs> um, it's, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, we had a lot of downtime that week. So um, let's just say, um, 
but uh, I, I, I also I type very very quickly. So, um, and I just hammered it out and um, put it up on Doctroid, and um, uh, that turned out to be a mistake because um, yeah, it's just um, Doctroid actually has uh, horrible horrible ads just the worst i mean they had interstitial ads they were like trying to load malware onto people's phones and i didn't realize this because i um i was uh i was posting it on doctroid over from my my desktop and i had i had an ad blocker and had no idea that doctroid was uh, serving people so many like malicious ads and stuff so i was like oh, oh no i can't believe i i used them for hosting so um eventually I uh, put it on mega and then believe it or not, mega actually banned my account. I'd never seen that happen before. Um, but a few days after I started like sending it around to some people, I sent it to uh, Dr. Malone and I actually sent it for like a, do- like a couple dozen people over email and Malone posted it on his Twitter and then automatic earth reposted him. And then zero hedge reposted automatic earth and before I knew it, like over, over a million people had seen it and it was translated into a couple dozen languages. So that was quite a surprise. I wasn't expecting it to, to spread that far. I was kind of just, you know, it was kind of a shot in the dark. Um, but uh, yeah, the thing is, is that, um, y- you know, um, Charles Lieber, um, one of his, one of his colleagues was a guy um, was one of the the co-founders of uh, of Moderna, Robert Langer. Um, Ro- Robert Langer. May I interrupt? Because I, I'm I'm mixing up timelines because I found out about Liba in January 2020, and I remember it surfacing one year later. So can you can you just put that into uh, how early did you know about Lieber? I actually uh, knew about Lieber um, pretty much as soon as the, the DOJ indictment came out. It was like early 2020, but I didn't really start revisiting the topic until about a year later when I realized how extensive all of this was. I mean, I, I and, covered him early early on because, again... A lot of focus on China, who was collaborating with China, and he he sort of, I don't know, serendipitously popped up into the uh, into news feeds, and you know I was yeah. aware of the, um, the the technology, the FET technology, um, but did I really know all about Charles Lieber and his dealings with? Uh, I mean, that's where he got popped because of associations with the Chinese Communist Party. Um, I mean, the, the yeah, take so, home, well, yeah, let me, I'm, I'm interrupted. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Please. Yeah, um, it was just, just for putting the time frame. my conversation where I have introduced the Libra story was 28th of January. And I, in that conversation, I said, yesterday I called the charity Christian Drosten to tell them that I suspect the laboratory uh, um, origin. So just for the record, 
if he tells uh, he didn't know about it, it's wrong because I called there. Misunderstanding, you mean? Yes, and I included uh, in that message. I included Charles Lieber. Okay. Okay. So Charles Lieber and uh, Robert Langer actually co-wrote a paper on coming up with these um, artificial uh, heart sca uh, scaffolds. Essentially, it's this artificial, like cyborg tissue, um, that that allows them to monitor someone's heart rate. Um, it's and what what we're talking about here is not even really um usually when people think about like like implants they think about cyborgs and stuff like that uh they think about you know the like prosthetic limbs and these like people with like like chrome arms and legs and stuff but that's not really what they, what they're i mean what this paper was describing what, what they're really describing here is essentially something closer to like synthetic biology um, it's, it, we're talking about like, uh, extra, like modifying the extracellular matrix, we're talking about tissue scaffolds, um, engineered tissue that has, uh, certain electrical properties and, and, and so on. And, um, basically this, this engineered tissue scaffold, I, I, they, they didn't like, I think they did it with like a culture of like heart muscle cells. Basically it, they, they report their own, um, activity wirelessly um and this was like over like a decade ago now um so this this stuff has been ongoing for a long time um uh robert langer is one of the co-founders of moderna um he's an, he is a uh, mit guy he's an expert in nanotech drug delivery um and uh charles lieber is again an expert in these um in uh silicon nanowires has been working uh, on them for like well over a couple decades at, at harvard so um this is like in the late 90s when he was first doing experiments with like laser ablation to produce uh silicon nanowires and all that so um and then i started digging into it and i found um uh darpa's n3 program and uh battelle's brainstorms um and uh, rice's moana um and and nanotransducer technology so um yeah it was um i mean some of this stuff is just is just really shocking because what they're after is something that could be introduced into somebody's body surreptitiously without their knowledge and that i mean so the thing about it, the reason why that's such a cause for concern is because um, we have people like James Giordano and Charles Morgan at the Modern Warfare Institute at West Point uh, going up on stage and candidly discussing and describing how the brain is like the future battlefield. You know, it, uh, we're, we're past the point of fifth generation warfare and, and information warfare. We're now at the point where we, we sh uh, should start thinking like, like practically about neuro warfare, about manipulate, manipula manipulating the, the, yeah, exa exactly. Smart dust, uh, manipulating the source of information by manipulating people's brain tissue directly, uh, changing people's attitudes, changing their behavior, um, uh, taking like a, like dissidents and, um, 
like giving them clotting agents and, or, or things that make them go crazy and, and make all their followers disown them, uh, stuff like that. And they, they're, they're candidly discussing this on stage uh, in front of cadets at West Point as um, an element of military strategy in the future. This, this is something that they're actually seriously considering as a new paradigm of warfare. Is, and what disturbed me the most about it is they're not talking about going after uniformed combatants here. What they're discussing here is um, going after civilians, um, civilians of, of rival powers, maybe even our own civilians. Um, everyone in this paradigm, everyone is a combatant. There, there's no such thing as battle lines or uniforms. It's really, really, really disturbing stuff. Not even protected persons anymore because they're after the children. It's uh, it basically, it violates all the rules of warfare. It's, it completely violates people's expectation for uh, protection under international law human autonomy, human dignity. It's just, it's absolutely appalling what these people are planning on doing. Planning? Doing? I, honestly, I, I have no idea what they're planning. Oh, I know. They're currently in the middle of it right now because they've already started it with this, this COVID pandemic. And on. also, be it 5G, you know, I, I'm, I don't need 5G in this COVID game, but talking about 5G as such, I think it's necessary because we don't do that in, in medical terms. It's just being rolled out. And it's, you know, it's radio frequency. Our bodies are, we have electrical properties in our bodies. So... It's necessary to talk about all of this, in, including um, the possibility of smart dust, because, you know, why would it be mentioned in WikiLeaks, discussed? The, the, the difficulty is that we have yes. people out there that take, take this technology and then they take the, the COVID stuff and they mix it up and they create these weird-ass conspiracies about what they're doing to us with the vaccines. And in fact, that's just a distraction from the real truth. Um, but yes, there is te that technology has been around for a long time before, you know, the, the COVID pandemic was either put on, put on the table, you know, during the exercises. But, you know, that, you know, the no virus people, the people that are coming up with the hydras and the microchips and self-replicating nanobots it's it's you know that it's like watching a cartoon but these are really real people you know <laughs> in the real world and it's really truly cartoonish when we look at it because we kevin and kevin understands what's going on with this with this technology that you know they've pushed on to, to to the global population and the global population is is reacting to it you know with excess death with all these footballers dropping dead, you know, and all the harm that's being done. You know, the vaccines are the is actually worse, doing more damage than the actual virus did. You know? Absolutely, yes. absolutely, and and, absolutely. The and, and it, that's what what uh, Anna Burkhardt, um, um 
shows in the histology and you know i understand what he shows and and i have predicted many of the things that he presents now so i think it's it, it's absolutely enough if if we focus on on the um pathophysiology and and the um surface like the epitopes uh, that spartacus is discussing and i'm focusing on these as well but we have other problems and it's not necessary to to mix up all the possibilities of next generation warfare with this situation. Um, but I think it's necessary to know about it, to, to have um, the possibility included in your thoughts, because we don't know what is in there. And when we talk about smart dust and, and like nanobots, something like that, and you know, from, from a physical perspective, it, it's not necessary that these are metal wired somethings. These can be like um, um, molecules that have electrical properties that can switch and 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 give up um, um, give off photons and read um, 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 and and send have have properties that can be um, received. Um, maybe even wirelessly. So um, that's the concept of hydrogel. So it's, I think it's necessary to talk about it, but not necessarily to, to mix it all up because it's absolutely enough what we have with the spike protein. And um, I think it's, it's part of uh, next generation warfare or let's say of the classical, because I learned it 20 years ago the classical um, binary war, um, um, bio-warfare attack, it, it, it is, you have the pathogen that is not very deadly because you need it to, to, to dive deep into the population and just do a little bit of harm in the vulnerable, but induce fear. And then next you have the information warfare. And I think the overflow of information all these um, like no viruses, uh, hydras and uh, self-assembling nanobots, all that. It's so exaggerated. If someone just says something, then people spin off like snake venom stories. And then you have these epitopes in the spike where you have a, a, an ap um, um, a surface of the spike protein, like being similar to snake venom actually or to rabies toxin to staphylococcus um, endotoxin meaning inducing cytokine storm that's that's yes you know it, it's mixing up this the true stuff or the other relevant stuff with the covid situation and that's making there is a branch, though. There, there is a branch from the pathophysiological to the technological. And um, Kevin and I had discussed this uh, kind of in our in our first discussion uh, regarding orc or theory, and how cationic or positive charges themselves can induce apoptosis. So you know, from you know a nanowire perspective and, and photons, you know, within and of themselves, you know, they can interfere with the genetic transmutation of information from the nucleus to the rest of the cell by in a, in a by interfering with microtubules and thus, you know, changing the way that the genes are being translated. Um, on the uh, snake venom side, you know, there is a, a, um, 
a part of the spike protein, which is uh, next to the, uh, which is on uh, the receptor binding domain, and it can interact with the alpha seven receptors of the nicotine cholinergic receptor. Uh, nicotine cholinergic system. Uh, and Kevin uh, had mentioned that, you know, when they attach, they don't let go. Well, when they don't let go, you have, uh, you have these uh, esterases, which are then released within the synaptic cleft. So and when, and when it reaches a certain concentration, then the body responds by uh, producing phospholipases, which is biological acid. Basically, you're, you're looking at burning away anything um, like like the cell membranes because all phospholipid bilayers are vulnerable to phospholipases, and then you have a degradation of the cell and kind of uh, death within a in a paracrine fashion, paracrine fashion. You know, so th there 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 is some um, connection between two in terms of the bio warfare side. I, I really it does not make sense to me that the body can physically sustain the technology that they're looking to implement. It's just not there. It's important. Oops, sorry, I'm on mute. Um, that's an important point is that um, biocompatibility is a huge um, area of research around these, around these technologies and just, um, and persistence. So even, even, even something like, um, gene editing you can have a problem with okay you can successfully get your virus in and you can uh, upregulate and get a gene to uh, express uh, the, of interest but it doesn't it doesn't stay and th this gets back into the stuff around um uh, what robert malone and the, the, all the mrna folks were were sort of finding was that they, they had these big dreams for um, being able to manipulate genes at, at this sort of fundamental level. Okay, it's a passive vector, I, I get it, but you could t tweak the, the vector by putting some, some biomolecules on the surface. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But what they found was that they, they deliver the, um, the messenger RNA product. Well, first off, they had to find ways to modify the um, the mRNA so it wasn't degraded so quickly but they just couldn't maintain persistence of the of the expression products that they were interested in and what what did they get which is why it's been funneled down towards the the lowest common denominator which is one of um, vaccines they always got a, 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 an immunogenic response to what it is that they were trying to um, to express and it, uh, and thus we find ourselves in the position that we are in today. That um, all all technology, all new technology, must be good, right? By virtue of the fact that we live in a technological society, so we must we must be able to add an extra widget to the the concept of um, immunization. And so mRNA is the uh, the the avenue down which they've gone but they've gone down that avenue because gene engineering um it hasn't worked like they predicted it would there are there are some very very few um gene therapies available and i think one is for the um, some optic uh condition optical um but 
the yeah they they need they need to have covid and all the uh, cytokine storm inhibitors uh, developed when they introduced the car t cell therapy because you have 100% uh, risk of having a cytokine storm and being on icu but they are publishing that in the medical journals like it was like nothing and they argue always with the same thing because it's for terminal ill oncologist patients they have the right to try and that's the exact way how they um, um, push these mRNA stuff because you know when I walked to the Bible um, 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 uh, library and um, um, had a book from 2018 in my hand where they um, promoted um, um, the mRNA technology by CureVac and um, Biotech and um, pushing it. So but it was also for terminal ill oncologist uh, experimental therapy back then. So, um, I think when it comes to <laughs> you had enough? And, 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 and information warfare, we have double standards in science, switching from oncology therapy with gene or messenger technology in, in your body. It's, a, it's an open system. These uh, cascades of signaling, it's, it's, you know, it's, I'm so, uh, I'm watching it like an explosion of a, of a nuclear bomb in slow motion, mm. because in my understanding of the body, it's such a bad idea with all the surfaces of HIV on that um, expression product. And when it comes to sustainability of these next generation warfare, six, whatever, if you would have something express, um, like nanobot capable products in your body, I thought about how would it look like? So I would expect to see amyloidosis. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's where I predicted amyloidosis in that instance, but you never know what these aggregates um, do. Yeah, there's also, there's also another explanation for the amyloidosis, which is being observed, and uh, that is the uh, patented um, MSH3 class gene for Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome, which appears at the furin cleavage site for PRRA, and uh, which is uh, and Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome has been known to create um, steroid lipofuscins. Yep, it's an another good one, and uh, there's uh, there's multiple there's multiple amyloidogenic sites all along just the, not just the spike protein but the, um, various other uh, peptides associated with with SARS and there's no um, there's no benign way of looking at this in, in my view and there's certain there's certainly no benign way of looking at what what's been this very organized um, systemic approach hang on hang on one second sorry one second what's up big boy when um spike is broken down by uh, neutrophil elastase, um, the small peptide fragments of it are all amyloidogenic. Yes, and that's exactly what uh, Professor Arne Burkhardt just showed, these, um, these clots that are like um, 
a phenomenon that that appeared um, at the coroners. Um, we have seen clots forming in the blood sample of a living patient who has injuries that are um, that correlate with the injuries of the deceased in the vessels. So it's a vascular disease. We discussed that in the beginning. And we have living patients with vascular um, um, pathology. And, and she sent in her blood sample and there is this um, clotting um, that that is appearing when you cool it down. So it might be a phenomenon that is especially at the coroners and, and not um, so much in clinics, but we see also these clotting problems. And Anna Burkhardt has this um, technology like uh, immunohistochemistry, meaning staining uh, for specific uh, surfaces with antibody with specific antibodies. And so you can. You, well, that, you that's, only, actually, that's actually the newest important bit of information that we have which is that the professor Arne Burkhardt's um, presentation which he put out well I want to say about 10 days ago now um, yeah that these this is amyloid associated with gene transfection and, and look I, I'll let you explain it and then I'll I'll say what could be an, uh, an objection to it but um, please sorry you I'm stepping in the way where you were going no problem because it's it's uh, synchronicity works interesting because um actually um i i should have been on tour to have a big lecture on a congress but i'm not able to travel so i asked arne burkhardt if he could jump in and now even the the conference is is happy with me dropping out and I'm here. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy, we're happy you're here. So, yeah. <laughs> so but um, yeah, Professor Anne Burkhardt has this uh, technology, immunohistochemistry. It's standard in, in pathology because you um, want to know which cells are inside of, of a section of a tumor, for instance. So you have these different antibodies for specific surfaces, and then you can make uh, different um, stainings of, of these uh, slides um, through the tissue of sometimes living patients and predict therapy from it, basically. Um, that's how you use it in, in clinical um, medical medicine. Um, and that's that's the point. Uh, Professor Anne Burkhardt and his colleagues, and I was involved in, in the scientific basic discussions in that, um, we have, um, they have now published peer reviewed with um, Michael Mertz, um, the, the option to say, this damage is just from, um, from the vaccine because it's just expressing the spike protein and not the nuclear capsid. Um, meaning if, if you get an infection by the whole virus, that's what Kevin said. It's not only the spike protein that induces these um, amyloid-like um, structures, but it's also other proteins of the virus when you get an infection, wild-type infection. So, but it, for vaccine injury, it's necessary to show that it's just the spike protein, the expression of it. But 
that's now possible and even in injured people that are living it's possible to to observe if there's spike protein expressed at the injury site like that that lady that had this suspicious clotting um in in her blood sample um she has a ruptured leg artery and can't walk she was a marathon runner before that and now she's heavily injured so it's it's not only that we see excess mortality, but we have people suffering. And I think that that's the worst of the whole censorship. Uh, you know, when we, we want to talk a short story about censorship, I was forbidden to get hydroxychloroquine for myself, my family and my protection, and <laughs> let alone my patients in the first times. It got better, but it was destroyed politically, and and that that was on purpose in my perspective, because you would not be able to license an emergency use authorization vaccine if you had therapy, and that's the essential part of binary warfare, because if it's just harming the vulnerable and you can induce fear in it. What what is it worth as a weapon? That's why you use binary and bring out the vaccine and use the fear to induce the the wish of the population to get the vaccine. And you get the the soldiers, the the medical professionals. So you get more pressure on the uh, medical um, um, healthcare workers. That the, the um, Health, uh, the emergency response, police, all that would be prioritized. And that's the situation we have right now. And then calculate in the antibody dependent enhancement and the factor with natural infection after the immunization and the waning off of the um, immune system after repeated infection. And you get like <laughs> what we're seeing right now um, or facing with the um, um, excess deaths situation and the next booster campaign, and we have mandates right now still for healthcare workers, they are losing their jobs <laughs> if they don't get vaccinated. Still here. And, and, and um, it seems to be turning around a little bit in the US, but I mean, I'm not, I'm presuming Europe is still. Uh, Germany. Germany, Germany, especially. But um, for some for some reason, every hundred years or so, we can make predictions about pandemics and about Germany causing all sorts of problems. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> it's just like volcanoes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> expecting an eruption. Um, I'm... Shall we talk about Beringwerke and Pfizer and how they're, where they're producing right now when we're at that topic sure. for the audience? Because uh, it, it's, it's not funny, actually, because BioNTech, Pfizer, is now producing in the Beringwerke in Marburg. Beringwerke was formerly Höchst, meaning IG Farben. And they have produced in the Beringwerke the sera and vaccines. Oh, did we lose Joanna? I, I think we lost Joanna there. Um, I wish I could 
pronounce the uh, as well as she does her German, but uh, I, I don't want to give away uh, too much what she's going to say. But you know, there's a, a long history of um, how should we say biological warfare going back to the IG Farben, obviously, and their um, how should we say delousing. Um, agents. I wonder if those government, uh, those government spy balloons over Germany just zapped her. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, this is, uh, I'm presuming from the sound quality she's using her phone. Maybe the battery just ran out. Um, but um, it's this type of, you know, synchronistic interruptions all the time that we've, that is, I don't know. What's it called? When he's on, on live radio, he used to a long time ago. Sorry, say that again. Well, Clyde used to get, be on on doing interviews, and they used to just get abruptly cut off okay. for no reason. You know, I yeah, uh, I uh, started digging into um, like molecular self assembly and and stuff, and then I stumbled across Ehud Gazet's papers on engineered amyloids. Yeah, this is this is such a. a dark <laughs> that's really shocking yeah yeah it, it is for me maybe it, maybe other people aren't quite realizing what it what it means uh, so but... he, has, he has this paper out entitled self-assembling peptide semiconductors about essentially um constructing uh semiconductors out of um out of amyloids uh, uh, something that, I mean, normally we consider amyloids to be something highly pathological, <laughs> let's just say. Uh, but here he's, he's um, speculating on all the different ways that they can be used in a sort of a bioengineering context to make biocompatible electronics out of peptides. Yeah. And there's, there's the kicker here, which is this biocompatible electronics. Who says it's biocompatible? Um, what? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, we, it's we found the, the metric right now is eight rodents for for being safe in, in, <laughs> in the in the current context, right? Is, is this is this where they've dragged science down to that they would that they would abuse the argument from authority that <laughs> just a, it's it's uh, it's made from uh, biochemistry and that, isn't it? It's basically more than safe for you. What's the matter with you? We're going to show them eight rodents. We've got four of them already. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so that's um, one thing that I'd remind the audience of. It's that um, I've got a trip to the US, which will take up most of November. Um, I don't know what condition I'll be in when I get back from the US. Um, probably take me... I'm not a good traveler by any stretch of the imagination, but the... Mm -hmm aim is to be doing the gene transfection properly as as it should be with any new product medicinal product um hang on just trying to chat with um joanna in the background um the proper toxicity testing you don't you don't just get to unleash something on on the population at large say oh nothing nothing's happening we, we <laughs> that's that problem solved and move on but it, it doesn't work like that in medicine some 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 secondary tertiary effects can take 
uh, years and decades to emerge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how many how many times have we had to uh, we've we've found wonder materials? Asbestos <laughs> springs to mind, right? Um, that oh, we put it in everything because it has such great properties. It seems at the time, but we we didn't realize that there would be an associated. Um, It'd be interesting to look at children in about two years and see what, what well, they're... You know, we have to ask ourselves, what's what's that increased mortality signal that we're seeing? And Joanna touched on it, which was the... 1,700 here last week, 1,700. Mm. Well, I, I mean, just... Thanks for the number. That's a big number. Um, but it, that's in the UK. Just the UK, yeah. Jesus, seventeen hundred excess deaths yes. per week. Yeah, yeah, and it's going up. It's going up. It was fifteen hundred the week before, I think. Fifteen wow. something. Wow. I don't know the exact numbers. Um, and you know, we should let Sparkers talk about what these amyloids, what the, what they're thinking of doing. It's it's bananas to me. Yes. Um, it it really is. It's. Uh, I mean, if you go over some of this this stuff, it's um, uh, you know, Ehud Gazet and others have been uh, looking into ways to to use um, amyloids as like metal casts and stuff to like to sequester metal ions already found inside the body and uh, and form them into into metallic wires. Um, and indeed to use the um, the conductive or optical properties of uh, the actual proteins themselves, the actual amyloids. And, and um, also, um, for the benefit of the audience, um, amyloids are essentially uh, protein junk. Um, they are proteins that link together in these repeating units that form these long chains or, or fibrils. Um, and those fibrils are highly inflammatory. They're, they are um, implicated in um, the progression of Alzheimer's disease, um, and systemic amyloidosis, you know, it, it, it damages the, the tissues when, uh, when these amyloid plaques accumulate and things. So, um, they, they've tried treating al- Alzheimer's by targeting amyloids with, um, monoclonal antibodies, but it doesn't really work very well. That's because al- Alzheimer's actually has other factors that go into it. It's not just the accumulation of amyloid. It's also oxidative stress. Um, it's mishandling of iron. Um, it's, it's lipid peroxidation. Um, it's, Which, uh, just to speak to the iron issue, just interject quickly. Anna Burkhart showed iron deposition around these amyloid structures that he was presenting just over a week ago. So yes. Just, just wanted to interject. It's, that. um, the thing about it is that, and that happens in COVID-19 as well. These people have, have iron overload um, and lipid peroxidation from that as well. So, but the, um, and the spike protein from the, from the vaccine, uh, oh boy. I mean, the potential, the, the range of um, possible harms from this thing is just, it's just incredible. It has a, it has a super antigenic region. Uh, like uh, Johanna was saying, it has, um, uh, motifs that that resemble um, that resemble snake venom. Um, it has um, 
it, it, it's it's amyl- the little individual peptide fragments of, of the spike when it's it's broken down by neutrophil elastase are um, are all amyloidogenic. Um, and what that shows is that when the body forms an inflammatory response to it, and you have these granulocytes reacting to the spike protein, you know, those enzymes are going to break it down. Then you're going to end up with amyloids. So, um, it, um, they, fi- they found that spike potentially localizes in the nucleus. Um, they found that, that, I mean, it's possible that, that, uh, these lipid nanoparticles could actually, uh, carry messenger RNA into the, uh, the nucleus and then you have it, it translating it. So it's just, um, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, not to mention, um, having cells express this foreign protein is going to make the immune system attack and try and destroy those cells. Um, it, which is, I mean, that's basically inevitable. Um, it's, um, I mean, you get some smart Alec come along and say, Oh, we'll, we'll use, um, you know, just even, even MRNA can be immunogenic, right? Uh, this is what people need to understand with there's evidence in in the scientific literature that not just proteins but genetic material itself can induce these um misfolding cascades and um they'll they'll come along and say oh well we'll we'll modify it with uh what is what's it called methyl pseudouridine so it's not it's not triggering the the immune system well you 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 don't know the the chemical interactions that are occurring again long term because we're seeing that 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 product doesn't break down and it's well we're finding it at least months later it's resistant to nucleases this stuff doesn't break down it's not i mean it uh it's it's basically i mean almost inside the body it's almost non-biodegradable it just it persists and it persists and and who knows uh, if it if it's partly degraded, what are the what are the uh, the products of it of it being translated then? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, it's just it, it's ridiculous. Um, and this this discussion should be happening across institutions worldwide, and I'm I'm ashamed that it's not that it that it's taken citizen scientists uh, or someone like myself to drag myself out of I, I don't want anything to do with that system anymore I'm I've done my bit the coal face but we're having to come forward and and speak to these issues because very very few people I mean it's beginning to change somewhat now uh, a lot of this um a lot of I mean this uh, whole thing of using uh uridylated uh mess and synthetically calf messenger RNA came from from Catalan Carico's uh, research um, a lot of that work showed um, that because uh, what what they were doing uh, in the in the 2000s actually was when they were like when they were investigating a lot of this uh, this stuff of introducing um, exogenous uh, messenger RNA into into cells. Um, what they they found was that it induced total like receptor responses. The body kind of like reacts to it as as an invading you know, as a, as a foreign object. Right. So, um, what they were trying to do is they were trying to cloak the messenger RNA from, from total like receptors by, by, uh, substituting, um, you know, uridine with pseudo So, um, and what they, they found out 
uh, was that they were able to evade the toll-like receptor seven and eight response. And then I, what I found um, digging through some preprints was that um, the, the Pfizer vaccine actually induced, um, well, it, it behaved like a toll-like receptor seven and eight blocker, actually. It, it, it induced changes in the in immune responses. And that's, that's not good because um, the body uses toll-like receptors for, for tumor surveillance. Yeah. So, um, it, and then I looked over Catalan Carrico's uh, paper and I noticed, I couldn't help but notice going over the, like the experimental methodology. Um, they basically just kind of um, tested the, uh, like with a cell culture, with a, um, a messenger RNA they knew behaved like a toll-like receptor agonist. And um, then they, uh, they, they tested the, uh, the pseudo-uridylated messenger RNA and they said, said look, look, see, it, it evades toll-like receptor detection. But they didn't then like continue on and do another experiment where they, they introduced their pseudo-uridylated messenger RNA, their, their Franken mRNA, and then introduce a, a known uh, TLR agonist to make sure that the pseudo-uridylated messenger RNA is not behaving as a TLR blocker. They didn't, they didn't do that. So there's, there's a, a possibility that this, this stuff actually jams up toll like receptors and the epidemiological data would you know one of the signals that they're seeing is what known as neoplasms now but that's cancers are on the increase um you know your your body is making well uh, yeah, you, you could say you could you, you get cancerous cells moment to moment, and you, it's your immune system going around prowling a healthy immune system going around prowling your your tissues that's looking out for these abnormal cells and and taking them out, and to so brazenly take it take a and if, if I've no reason to doubt the the data you're citing. To roll out something like that at such a mass scale, for even even if you just took the 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 orthodox reasoning for it, right, that there was a short term need, right, to try to try to prevent the worst excesses of uh, SARS on an unhealthy population. Um. What that that can no one no one sat there and thought about cancer. As a as a adverse event, I, I, it, it just everything I knew about clinical sciences broke down in this instance, and you, you have to say it has to be. It looks very much like a deliberate sabotaging. Now I'm interrupting again. Sorry. No, it it does look deliberate, um, and it's just the 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 persistence. Um, and the, the, the continued, um, the, the dogged insistence on, on protocols that are not working um, and that are causing more excess mortality. It's just, and it's really shameful. I mean, the way they've targeted and harassed uh, dissident doctors and, it's, and the way they've, they've um, 
targeted people's social media and they've, they've gone after doctors, uh, credentials, uh, like now even, uh, Peter McCullough is facing, mm-hmm. um, not just deplatforming, but also they're actually going after his, uh, accreditation. So, yeah. That, and you know, what, what a way to shut people down. Yeah. Right. Because you know, who's, who's in a position to be, look, I've, I've got little left to, lose right i was i i decided i didn't want to be part of that um game anymore and so it was you know easy for me to say ah, um you know i was the decision was made for me somewhat um by uh ill health but um many many people I'd, you know would i would i have been speaking up 10 years ago if if the same events had been ongoing right now i'd like to think i would have but maybe maybe i wouldn't maybe it would have just been better just to keep it you know keep getting the salary and um you know the institute credit card to go on jollies twice a year to nice places around the world present data and you you've got a um yeah it's it's very much a a, a soft jello like infrastructure that makes up what what should be <laughs> positions of real responsibility right now with and like i say to see it just imploding in in the manner that it has done and like i said peter mccullough obviously is uh you know there's there's very few ways to attack him you know, he's, it was like I don't know what it is like his h index is like he's one of the the most cited cited clinicians in history almost yeah. <laughs> he's not even dead yet right but um and he's still got still got more work that he could put out people yeah. should watch um adam curtis's documentary hypernormalization mm-hmm. because um that's pretty much what people in power are trying to do right now they're, they're trying to split people off into these alternate realities that don't really even um basically that they're isolating people from from the livers of power essentially um the thing about about modern society is that managerialism has taken over everything to such a degree that people don't even people don't even want to know how the sausage is made so to speak they don't want to know how bureaucracy works they don't want to know how rule making works they they don't want to know about about science they don't want to know anything they just want an expert to tell them what to believe um, and it's gotten to be so complex that, you know, it's, it's, um, basically the only people who can manage the system are, are people who are so deep into their own fields of expertise that they can't see the forest for the trees anymore. Yeah. They, they can no longer see the political big picture. They're just another cog in the machine. Um, the thing about it. And this has been ongoing for decades. I mean, since the seventies, even um, the managerial class, the professional managerial class have decided effectively that, well, that the plebeians aren't entitled to scientific knowledge, that they're not entitled to know how, how they're being ruled, how they're being manipulated. Um, it's that whole nudge theory thing. Yeah. They think, they think that they, they, they believe that, we should just 
you know, obey and knuckle under that we don't know what's best for ourselves. Um, they, they run this, they run our governments essentially as, as circus acts pretty much. I mean, yes. people, people vote for politicians, um, garbage in garbage out, you know, it's the same stuff every, every couple of years and nothing ever seems to change. Everything always seems to follow the same exact agenda. You know, look at, look at the state of America, massive, massive rust belt factories closed from one end of the country to the other um, companies being liquidated, people losing their pensions, uh, people hooked on fentanyl um, dying in a gutter from one end of the country to the other in- infrastructure uh, decaying. They, they can, they can, they can dredge up billions of dollars for Ukraine, but they can't seem to dredge up enough to fix our roads and bridges and, and our rail networks and modernize things. They don't, they don't care about us at home here. Yeah. And look, we, we live in an age where bullet trains are not high technology, but I mean, they are, but it's routine technology. And I, it, look, I can remember the last time I was in the U S and it, it was literally like taking a train from the 1950s. Yeah, it is. Right. And, and it's it sort like of, it, track and <laughs> it would jiggle along and, uh, you know, you're sort of bumping along with it and you know i mean it wasn't that expensive and i you know i i, I had the institute credit card so i i was in first class it was still uh not not the most pleasant of experiences whereas you in in japan right that this thing glides up with millimeter precision to the platform you know there's that you could just roll your wheelchair onto it should you be uh yep the shin- shinkansen yeah and what the, the the U.S. can't bring itself to to make that? Uh, no. Nope. Yeah, my train ride up to Manchester or to uh, Leicester was uh, 120 miles an hour. That was pretty cool. Uh, that's that's <laughs> that's old tech, dude. That's just yeah. That was just a normal train. Yeah, that's that's um. Well, like I say, I, you know, I often wonder, you know, where where are they going with this assault on humanity? And is, is it is it to drag the world kicking and screaming so everywhere is like Asia? But no, it's to drag the world kicking and screaming so that everywhere is like Ready Player One. Ready Player One. What's Ready Player? Have you seen the movie? Everyone living in like like essentially like Brazilian favelas with VR goggles simulating um, endless luxuries that they're never allowed to actually experience in real life. No, I've not seen this. Is this, is this a new movie? I need to see this. It's like a it's, Matrix precursor. Have you seen those um, Leonardo of Biz parodies? <laughs> no, I mean, the, the yeah, the, there's, there's this, Club of Rome type ideology that you know we we haven't touched on at at the moment, and you know who who are the haves and have nots, and I you know this is what this is what I think is the kink in what would be an almost unstoppable full court press from uh, the the other side is that some people who are in positions of, of being able to speak out that they. Peter McCulloch's. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that um, Jeffrey Sachs will will come through and um, be 
be able to speak to some of these issues. And look, I don't ex I don't expect all people to be or, or, you know, each person to be all people to all things all the time, right? But we we need whistleblowers from with with from within the inside that don't mind taking the slings and arrows um, publicly that um, enables the, the the those of us that the common people right the untermensch from yeah from their perspective to be able to push back and were, were they expecting a spartacus oh. i don't i don't know i, don't, I, don't I know. think jeffrey Sachs was um he's he's coming you know his consciousness of, of right and wrong got to him when when he found out that everybody lied to him and that they it's just being used as a patsy i think he's really uh you know turned around 180 on everything yeah and th they were gonna say who, who wouldn't be pissed off in that situation that oh what they were they were setting me up setting me up to be the the spokesperson for a, a con job that again is multi-generational all-encompassing has some of the darkest components of human perfidy stapled onto it um the you know why 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 wouldn't these people you know maybe they'd realize that and i, I like the term that uh, spartacus uses which is managerialism that all those managers that thought they were the bee's knees and you know they they had the parking spot and the company car etc realizing they're not part of the club right the kind they're, of people we're dealing with the hunter bidens and the oligarchs and the mm. money men and the mm. globalist and, class yeah and yeah. well that can't say globalist it's uh oh. anti-semitic now divinity I'm racist <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know what what i was watching some some i think it's british news newscast i don't i've got the link saved somewhere but um yeah some some dude phoning up right the, these venting radio stations and this this snippy bitch he was hosting it just turns around he's, he's and he's just talking about i've got the you know he's angry you know there's a voice of the street and he, he just offhand says globalist and she'd i'd i'd never heard this retort before you can't say globalist because it's anti-semitic unreal unreal like, just the, the implication itself is telling right <laughs> seriously i mean and to spartacus uh, observation and in your observation yeah. in terms of the united states and the acknowledgement of the managerial class being what it is what we have are collections of international leaders that are collaborating on a global scale oh so we can't say earth scale we'll come up with a different word for it that'll maybe you know so on an earth-wide scale so these these are earth whitists how about that Let's let's not use the uh, the anti-Semitic term. Let's call them Earth whitists because that's what they are. They are they are for the entire Earth. They want to control everything. The, the, where the United States first went wrong was in the repeal of Glass-Steagall. Apparently, we didn't le learn our lesson uh, after you know the Great Depression and the fact that we needed to have institutional investment banking separate from deposit banking but you know let's just allow institutional banks to then collaborate with like uh, i don't know what is it swift why does the united states outsource our like international banking system to a european company question mark so it, 
in terms of a managerial class, what we have in the United States is a complete letting go of one's own sovereignty. In the United States, we are of, by, and for the people. And the people have, in a sense, like dissuaded themselves of their own responsibility to govern themselves. And Correct. that's the problem. Yes. Uh, the thing about it is that our politicians have completely abdicated control over economic policy to supranational institutions. Um, the uh, Bank of International Settlements, the World Bank, um, and um, the IMF. And uh, it's just, it's shocking, really, when you, you, you stop and think about it, because like, what are people even voting for? Do they even have representation anymore? It's uh, your representatives are supposed to set policy uh, for the sake of their constituents. They're not supposed to just delegate all that stuff to um, some guy sitting in an office in Geneva who doesn't care about them. Well, so, I, I mean, I'm not sure they're... Well, you know, they, they, main, they maintain the pretense of offices and, um, you know, the, the families, if you believe in them, all that. They maintain the pretense of power through... Uh, a mass media, which is paid for by the Defense Department and was initiated from intelligence agencies and whose whole genesis was to like basically mind control people. Have you have you ever read um, National Security and Double Government by Michael J. Glennon? I have to. Uh, yeah, definitely, because um, he goes into all that. The the uh, the Madisonian institutions and the Trumanite network. Um, how you have this um, appearance of a, of a government, a sort of a, a pseudo government that just rubber stamps policies invented by national security spooks. For real. And what are the, and what, 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 what is the associated press, which is funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, put out every 4 a.m., 4 a.m. talking points? And that's what's driven home into everyone as soon as they turn on that TV. Oh, let me get my programming. Let me know what to think so I know what to talk to other people to appear normal and to gain acceptance. Bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't, I, I'm going to have to wrap up soon because I've got to, um, I'm, I'm, heading over, I'm heading over to the U.S. today. I'll be in Texas, folks. Houston on the 5th of November. Uh, the, well, I forgot the name of the hotel. Hilton. Hilton in Pearview, um, but I've I've got to wrap up soon. Uh, if you guys want to keep keep going at it, uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, someone someone in the in the chat um, in the re restream there just asked um, what the title of the book was again. It's uh, National Security and Double Government by Michael Glennon. Uh, I will. Um, well, if I had time to read on the, I've still got to do my presentation for uh, uh, next week. But I'm going to be uh, presenting your uh, your ICENI, um Venn diagram at that uh, at that talk. I think um, I, you know what's what's part of the solutions here. Well, um, you know one of the things that I'm looking at is you know obviously public science, transparent science for the for the public that are, that are interested. It's. Um, uh... Oh, sorry not to interrupt, but it's, it's actually just a regular line graph. Um, a Venn diagram is, is one of the ones where it has the overlapping circles. Ah, it's uh, it's Venn enough for. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I mean, it doesn't doesn't quite rotate in three D, but um, Venn Venn enough Venn partial Venn diagram. Um, but the the 
uh, I'll be presenting that and other other people um, whose tonics work just just to try to direct people. And what, like I say, one of the ways that I think is a, a, out of this is I don't I, I don't want to say splintering off into into cults, but in, one of the discussions I've been having lately is about making um, communities that, that that are sort of embedded in these horrible malfunctioning systems at the moment that that are just um work working as a i hate to use the word collective either everything's become so tainted um but, uh, but, a par parallel society yes very, very much so um and uh li little um archipelagos of normalcy that you can sort of hop to and you can essentially be sort of citizens of that uh that can run in parallel to these very toxic systems now you know how do we get around the uh the the travel you know I, i'm subject to corporate law as i step into that airport today um and you know my my sovereign rights over international waters because i'm in, encapsulated in a corporate tube um aren't going to mean very much right because i've got to sign all, all types of um, waivers and shit. <laughs> Bend over. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And Bend them. They, you know, I might not even get in the country yet. I might have to be stuck on a plane, and they might just turn me around at the border. Still. Um, wow. So, um, with, but I think you know, we we can use the same tools that they're using. Like I say, we've had this conversation. Um, it's worked flawlessly. Thank you, Chinese Zoom, even though you cut out Joanna when she was getting to the Bering Verka and the <laughs> sordid, sordid history there. Um, but, yeah. but we should be using these um, tech techniques, technologies, and um, finding ways and solutions uh, out of this. And, you know, th th there's stuff many many people can bring different skill sets and you know there's there's no way i would have um been able to do the legal stuff like anthony has or and you know what spartacus has done is well done a spartacus and led the led led from uh led the people in in a way that and reached far far more people than i than i did um doing trying to be a sort of dissident in in this environment so many people can can help and I, I want to just say thank you to uh Clyde uh Lewis uh for sort of allowing and um hosting this um webinar Very cool. yeah. um I think most of it was streamed our end um oh. so you can go watch replay um and I'm gonna uh yeah I've got to I've got to dip out so I'm going to say adieu, everyone. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, have a good one. Yep. Uh, and maybe yeah, I'll see you guys in the US. Come to Texas. <laughs> I'd have to. see me over there. I'm never going back. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> uh, please, uh, Sparkus, it would be, be very, very cool. Um, if not, I'll be in um, Michigan uh from maybe the 12th 13th 13th i think for a week um but um yeah i've got i've got to go i've got i got things to do <laughs> so, take care guys god bless um, you, you too, you too. Many, many blessings, blessings. Yep.
See you later. Bye. All right, I'm out, folks. Um, I will. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and stream sort of going through the customs and everything. Um, not customs, border controls later today. Just see if they let me. And I'll, I'll see if that kind of works. Um, they might tell me to shut down my um, phones, etc. But we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm going to try and do that. So keep keep an eye out for stream alerts. And, um, yeah, so maybe you'll see me later today and then when I pop off uh, in the U.S. Pop out, I should say, in the U.S. And um, if you want to uh, help uh, support this type of, because um, I'm, I'm going and networking, but mccandojo.com, um, uh, please go there. And uh, any... Um, any shekels you can send to much much appreciated uh, it's a big uh, big expense doing this but i think it's important all right i'm out of here take care god bless bro you don't know how angry i am you do i'm like i was just leaving for fucking work you do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line i would be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine fuck these papers I will fucking kill each fucking kappa! I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore! This is fucking dead serious! I am fucking dead serious! These people don't know who the fuck they actually say. Fuck these kappas! No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever throws you in my fucking blood, blood! Never! No! I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking views and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage! Motherfuckers! Hold it, alright, this guy. Good, 